The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. I am Professor Snipe, and this is the Potterhood Podcast with Nico Wright and Will Poznan. You're here to enjoy the subtle science and exact art of podcasting. As there's a little foolish wand waving here, many of you will hardly believe this is magic. However, for those select few who possess the predisposition, enjoy the show. <laughs> Check, 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 check. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Podhood Podcast. I'm Nico White. I'm Will Poznan. And we're back with episode what, Will? 48. Back with episode 48 of the Podhood Podcast. Let's do our check-ins right quick. Will, how are you? Excellent. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. How about you, Max, Nico? You? Oh, okay. I can't complain, bro. Also excellent. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> I'm uh I'm very tired. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make it to the end of this one. <laughs> Two out of three. Got you. Yeah. Got it was you. literally Max is- like the Max is the full other side of the he was trying to say as far from excellent as possible without being a downer. <laughs> he was just like, yeah, I'm doing terrible. I know you guys are excellent, so I don't want to ruin the streak. But no, I Max is Max has a, had a long, long day. Yeah, and another one tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, mm. speaking of having a long, long day, let's go to the person we're sorting who had a long, long impact on the American cultural landscape. Let's do that. Uh, who are we talking about? We're talking about somebody who would have hated that intro. We're talking about the legend Paul Mooney. <laughs> we are talking about the legendary Paul Mooney, stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Um, man, if I'm sorting that guy, bro, I would have to sort him into Gryffindor because he really seemed like someone that was um very brave for what they did and having to understand that what you're doing might make people feel a certain way. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. So with the kind of material that Paul was doing, you'd hear him described like I remember I read somewhere somebody called him angry. And then I watched the specials and he seemed like he was having so much fun. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I never really understood where that like moniker came from. Yeah. You know, so it was kind of like, you know, how Seamus was actually really talented. You know what I'm saying? When it came to pyrotechnics. Paul Mooney, when it came to doing what he did, was one of the sharpest. And I think if you combine acts like Chappelle and Cat Williams, you kind of get Paul Mooney. You know what I'm saying? So it's he, very much ahead of his time. He rem- kind of reminds me of a Nicholas Flamel, except Nicholas Flamel got a lot more credit. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, yeah, me, I'm going to sort Paul Mooney into Gryffindor. No, he is in a way he's a lot like Nicholas Flamel because Nicholas Flamel got one line on Dumbledore's chocolate frog card. And Paul Mooney yeah. would get one line on a Richard Pryor chocolate frog card. And look, yeah. Paul Mooney is is not only a legend and um, incredible comedian, but he's also slept on a little bit like um so the African American History Museum in DC has mm-hmm. a comedy section as it should because, you know, 50 of the 100 greatest American comedians are black people. So yes, indeed. the one person that they snub, because they got Pryor, they got Cosby, they got Eddie Murphy, they got Chappelle, they got Rock, they got Bernie Mac. The one legend that they snub is Paul Mooney. They got Red Fox, they got Moms Mabley, they got Wanda Sykes, they got everybody. And they don't have- you don't get- Yeah. 
you don't get to have so many of those people without Paul Mooney. Yeah, a hundred percent. And people don't understand the impact that he had uh, socially and they don't understand artistically. So socially, he was putting ideas in, into the into the, like the conscious that not only people were taking, but other comedians were going, oh, this idea is interesting. And he influenced a whole era of comedians to be more aware of the world with their standup, kind of like what Dick Gregory did. And then also artistically, he mm -hmm. influenced the art form, everybody in the art form from the smart people to the dumb people to be a little bit braver and a little bit more brutal and yes. a little bit more raw. And that, so he had this impact socially and then he had this artistic impact and it's hard to say like which was a bigger one in terms of American pop culture. Right, I think, um, I think his contribution artistically may have gone even further than we realized. Because music and stuff. Am I? Oh, I'm saying to music and stuff. Like you're saying that his. Oh, okay. Because I look at that too. Like his ideology and his worldview went way past comedy. Like whether it was music or movies, or you look at Spike Lee. If you look at Kendrick, like you know that these guys are students of Paul Mooney. So many people, bro. And again, it, I just keep coming back to this one thing, and that's like this is a Harry Potter podcast. So when I mention a name like Nicholas Flamel, or you mention a name like a like a almost if it's evil like a Bellatrix Lestrange, like that one. Soldier. I thought of Mad Eye. Mad Eye was who I thought of. For oh, on the. On the on the DA side, definitely. Yeah. But like that that one soldier that was always there, and the only thing that could take them out was their health, so you had to blow them up. You know, and he always seemed like that guy. Him, Joan Rivers, in a way, when she was alive, mm -hmm. they always seemed like those people. And I hope that, like, if you listen to this podcast, I hope you'll take the time and look up um, Paul Mooney's work, because honestly, when I, bro, I watched it yesterday. The shit gave me chills. Um, analyzing white America, the opening to that joint, where he's sitting acting as a therapist to a um, congressman who's like, "I just feel so guilty. You guys make me feel so guilty." When you realize that it's 2021, and he recorded that in probably 2001, yeah, and you realize how how ahead, like the thing that he had, Paul Mooney and a white guy. And he, the shit that the white guy was saying that he wrote for him is exactly what we're talking about in textbooks now. Yes. And he didn't win the Grammy that year. You know what I'm saying? And the, and the stuff he was talking about was some of the best on the subject. And I'm talking about to this day, some of the best on the subject. He touched it first. He touched it better than most people. And didn't they overlook them? So... Yeah. If you can go posthumously, um, respect the legend. Go and watch that. Go and watch um his specials. But definitely that one that he did, um, Paul Mooney's "Analyzing White America," heavy heavyweight championship of a comedy special. I mean, he all of his stuff is really high high level. Sometimes the thing I've heard the misnomer I've heard about him is people go oh, he was a great writer and they don't give the full credit to his performance style. But oh, for so me, I, I mean, the jokes are amazing jokes. I love his performance style. I love that style of just like, I'm gonna strip it down and then turn up the volume. Like, this is just me, how I'd be, you know, at a, at a dinner party. But now I'm going to turn up the volume on it like crazy. So it's the only thing you can hear in the room and you can't run from it. And then you just have to acknowledge like this is the funniest stuff like that a person couldn't think on this topic. And the guy on stage is saying it like an inch from your face. Like that's how it feels like it's an inch from your face. Right. And it's so many. Here's the real beauty of that style of comedy, right? 
in my opinion. You talk about, like, people talk about PC culture and they make up these things about it and all that stuff. And it's like, hey, fam, Paul was going out. And if his audience was as ready to strip away, like, the BS as he was, the time that they had would be amazing. Another special you guys should look up, and it's one I just got introduced to today. And that's... um. Paul Mooney, Black People Built the Pyramids. There's a moment in there, right, where there's somebody in the audience that's watching, like, the audience react to Paul, and it's so eye-opening. It shows you a lot of the BS that might go into um, the analysis of what we do. So I really hope everybody will get that a look. But, yeah, definitely I'm sending Paul Mooney to Gryffindor. Will, where you putting them and why? Yeah, I would definitely put him in Gryffindor. I mean, the people that I thought of, were I mean Mad Eye Mooney was the first person I thought of, and then right. I thought of the Marauders because uh, yeah because uh, yeah Lupin is named Mooney in the in the Marauders, but uh, I don't think that Lupin's very similar to Mooney at all. I think that yeah he's I think that his relationship with or uh, with Pryor reminds me of. Dumbledore and Mad-Eye Mooney mm-hmm. and uh, Mad-Eye Moody. And I think that their vibe is very much like Mad-Eye whispers something into Dumbledore's ear. Dumbledore's like, that's ridiculous. And then an hour later is like, oh no, that's true. And then Dumbledore takes the thought even further. Yeah. And bro, when you, when you look at that relationship and you... Mm-hmm. Think about the fact that, oh, let me pull this speak away from my shirt. I hope that wasn't causing any interference. Um, when you guys look at the fact that that whole generation is really a lot like the Marauders, because you have the, it's like Cosby prior, right? Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers, and then you got people like Paul Mooney, right? They were right around, around the same time. And let's and you say- you got I Carlin get- and Red Fox, and you got- it's a strong like i mean those guys it's like slightly off like they're all within five years of each other but that is a crazy crazy you got robin williams like right in the middle of that like towards the end of like when richard Pryor is the richard Pryor show uh i mean there's a lot going on in that generation of stand-ups you have like the absolute height of johnny carson so every time somebody's having a a great Carson said their career explodes. So you have a guy like Freddie Prince Sr. who becomes like the modern equivalent of Ryan Reynolds within the course of a year. He goes from like unknown to Ryan Reynolds because that's how big Carson is. So you got Freddie Prince Sr. And you got, I mean, comedies, that's probably the apex so mm-hmm. far that we've seen um the other the other time you can make a case for is the Chappelle cat louis generation That's nah a, i think this generation the coldest man is the the prior well i mean the thing is do you you do you lump in like the cosby red fox uh lenny bruce woody allen generation that comes before because they're not technically the same as the prior carlin um paul mooney and robin williams generation so like you guys what we're talking about right now as far as like importance think of think like double doors generation of witches yes. and wizards right like you have the grindham walls you have the albus dumbledore so on and so forth right Later on, you get people like McGonagall, and then you get you some have names. Voldemort with the McGonagall. She's a strong person from the McGonagall generation, but McGonagall and Dumbledore aren't exactly the same generation. Like the Weasleys, like the part. the uh, the parents. Um, man, it's it's late in the night. Arthur Weasley and Molly Weasley, they're a different generation than James and Lily Potter. Like James and Lily right. Potter are younger. Than, than Molly and Arthur Weasley. And it's the same with comedy. It's the same with generations of comedians. So yeah. like Bill Burr, some people would lump him in with Chappelle, but Chappelle actually started doing stand-up like seven years before Bill Burr. They're of different generations. Like people would lump in Pryor and uh, 
you know, and Steve Martin. Well, Steve Martin's actually of that generation, but they or like Pryor and Eddie Murphy, which are completely different generations, even Pryor and Cosby, which are different generations. Different generations, right. So what we're talking about is like a class of a class of wizards of this for Harry Potter that come from that like pre-war arc, like pre mm-hmm. the first war, right? And then you have the Def Jam generation of the 90s that would count as like the Marauders, Mad Eye when he was in like his prime prime. Yeah. You know, and then you get the generation after that. Oh, you know Potter and all that. You know what's so great is this is what we're gonna do for the rest of the time because I just thought of a really interesting thing. So I'm gonna just look at the program all this stuff we can talk about next time. And we're doing something really, this is going to be really good what we do for the rest of this episode. I'm excited. We're going to take four marauders, comedy marauders from each generation of comedians. And then I'm going to write it down. And then we're going to decide who has the best top four of any generation. And we're going to try to do our best to compare each of the four marauders that we choose for comedy to like who would be the James, who would be the serious. I don't want to call anyone a worm tail, but who would be the worm? Who can be the snake, maybe? I don't know. Okay. There's no worm tails in All these right. groups, but we'll, All we'll, right. Hold on. Let me get um maybe we can get... say who can be the lily. Cause I don't even want their like there's no top four generation comedian who you could even cl- come close to comparing to Wormtail besides Louie. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh... <laughs> Especially if it if if it has anything to do with like looks, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, they have the same stylist. About to say, I'm not even throwing shots for real. It's just that y'all they look alike. So, Big Lou, if you ever hear this, you know, no disrespect to nothing, man. But hey, dog, y'all, you look just like that nigga slave Peter Pettigrew. He's not. He's not into pop culture post 1994. I don't think he's a Harry Potter guy. That sucks. Oh, well, shit. I wish him the best. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, okay. All right. Dang, this is going to be tough. Okay. So, what generation are we starting with? Um, Let's start with, man, I got to grab a pen because this one doesn't work. Uh, hey, I, I do too. So, let's both take let's, a 20-second yeah. break. Cool. Let's start with the, t- the young ones and go backwards. Don't the pause young it or, ones and go like, backwards. Let's start with, should we start as recently as yours? Or you want to start? I mean. Yeah, I, we got to end on that. That's, that's okay. the main event. Okay, let's end on that. Okay, so let's start that's the with main Dick event, Gregory's. Cause... Dick Gregory's okay. generation. Let's start there. We're, we're about to play this epic game in honor of Paul Mooney, uh, where we go through and we find the the... We can call this the Marauders of Comedy for each generation of comedians. We're, uh, this is going to be a very heavy comedy episode. Um, but you know what? Strap in, nerds. Yeah, this is, this is for the people that love stand-up comedy as much as Harry Potter. And uh, if you're not one of them, hey, you know, maybe, uh, maybe it's time to elevate the greatest thing to ever come out of America to the level of the greatest thing to ever come out of England. A hundred percent, fam. If we could do anything that can get y'all more into stand-up in general, then we've done a lot. Yes. Our art form always can use more people. Max is back with us? Max crashed. Oh, okay. I was just giving Max a note, an audio note. That'll probably stay in. It'll probably, people listening will just hear a minute, 20 seconds of silence. And then it'll, <laughs> they'll hear me telling Max, hey, can you add it here? And they'll just know what happened. Hey, y'all, uh, when we get this podcast all the way together, y'all gonna be so proud of us? Like, <laughs> nah, because they don't understand, bro. We ain't even been in person with this joint in a, more than a year, almost two years. Yeah. Okay. It's so, about to change. About to change. These episodes about to get crisp, crisp again. We can't wait for y'all to experience it. We can't wait to experience it. But we got an assignment right now, the Marauders of Comedy, right here on the Potterhood Podcast, episode 48. I can't wait. So we starting with the Dick Gregory generation of comedians. Now, I have to, I have to be honest. This is going to be tough because when we say Dick Gregory's gen- generation, bro, that's a, that's a, that's a lot. So let's try to find 
his stand up. So David. are we calling that? Are we? So here's the real question: Are we saying that Dick Gregory is the generation before Cosby, or are we putting him with that group? Because I think he's before. I'm about to say he is before. Cool. Um, so we're talking about like vaudeville bro like yeah so is lenny bruce of that generation or he's of the cosby generation i think he would be more with like prior and those folks gotcha or was he was he then he's not making this (laughs) if he's that if he's part of that class sorry lenny bruce uh okay so we're going before um Okay, Mort Saul is of that generation. Oh, okay. I'm literally looking at Mort Saul right now, and I'm not. You know, I wouldn't kid you yeah. like that. Just Mort to, Saul, um, one of the basically one of the fathers of Jewish stand-up comedy. That's yes, like that's one style. And then Don Rickles, who I think is of that generation too, is basically the other style of like Jewish comedy. You have like smart, and then you have aggressive and angry. And you right. have the boat. So yeah, I mean, those are two people I could put in that group. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with you. I would say um, if we're talking about who was who, because like Mom's Mabley is a full generation earlier, but you could also put her in that group because we're not, we're kind of doing a pre Cosby thing, like everybody pre Cosby. If we talk in the pre Cosby generation, I think it looks like this. I think that the James Potter of the group would be uh, actually the Lupin of the group. Because you gotta remember Lupin was very, very much well-respected, but he was a bit of an outlier. So I would put Dick Gregory as the Lupin of the group, right? Even though his story ended up much, 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 much better than Lupin's did, he definitely was ostracized as far as, you know, he was the first black comedian to even be on television doing stand-up. They was yeah. invited over to the couch. If you folks don't know, what you see on shows like Jimmy Fallon and things like that, where a comedian will do their set and they're invited over, well, back then, prejudice wouldn't allow that. You know what I'm saying? And Dick Gregory was the first comedian that demanded, well, if I do stand up on this show, I have to then be brought over to the couch. And since he broke that barrier, we haven't gone back. So. Shout out to the GOAT. And for me, I would definitely make him the, um, the loop of the group because after he stopped, he never really stopped doing stand-up, but he intertwined a lot of humanitarian efforts. You know what I'm saying? He became a big, big, big leader in the civil rights movement. And of all of the people that were in the Marauders, I just see Lupin having a heart that's that big. And willing to endure the type of bullshit that Gregory endured. I I agree with you. I think of the Marauders, he's closest to Lupin, unless you want to make the case that we're, you know, that Lily, he's kind of like, um, well, he's just never wrong. Of, like, uh, he's not wrong like Lupin is. Like, you know how Lupin does the thing in book seven where Lupin's like, Harry, I need to go with you. I need to abandon my family. Like, that's like the inverse like that's the bizarro version of what happened with dick gregory like he was right and the whole world was like no the whole world was wrong he would have seemed the same way in that moment because literally the whole world was wrong and he was the only person that was right in 1962 or whenever you know he first started ascending right okay so now let me give you let me give you that right and to will's point i'll add this side of the perspective of Man, who's to say that Lupin was all the way wrong? You know what I'm saying? Because per the world they were living in, to have somebody like Lupin on their side watching their back actually makes perfect sense. He's one of the he's one of the best. That's he's far more powerful. He turns into a freaking werewolf when the moon is full, which means he's a great diversion no matter what. He's the target that you almost have to take out first. In order, uh, it, you saw how the Death Eaters were doing things. Moody knew that if he, wherever he was going, Baltimore and whoever else would likely target him first, which would definitely keep the real Harry Potter safe. Here's why I love this this idea, by the way, of Lupin going with them. It creates a world where Harry, Ron, and Hermione have to be Animagi, which is the one thing that we all wanted from the beginning. We never got it. 
you know, that's a thing that that's another thing people could be mad at JK Rowling for. 100%. <laughs> so when you um when you look at it that way, somebody like Dick Gregory per the time that he was living in, the prevailing thought, especially in the places that needed change, like the south and stuff like that, were against him. So if more, if more people are against you than with you, then that actually makes you wrong by public opinion. Yeah. So until it was obvious that he was right, he was considered wrong. You know what I mean? I look back at Harry Potter right now, and I definitely think that Lupin going with them would have been a much better idea, especially if Lupin was going to end up dead anyway. Yes. I, by the way, uh, I agree with you. So I'm putting Dick Gregory down for Lupin and we don't have to give Don Rickles the same time, but he's the serious black of that group, right? Hilarious. But tell him why. Why do you think that? Uh, because Don Rickles was the ultimate yes man. You could put him on any in any environment and he would pretend to be mean, whether it was a Martin Scorsese movie or Carson or his night his nightclub shows in Vegas or touring the country. He would pretend to be mean in a way that was actually really endearing and kind. And then he would fake apologize at the end for having been mean, just so that he'd have the opportunity to kind of be kind again. And he was just the ultimate sidekick because you knew what you were getting every time and he was going to be consistent and he was going to come from a good place. That's interesting. So I was going to say that the, um, you're good. I was going to say that the one thing about um, Don Rickles, if we could compare anybody to what a positive Peter Pettigrew would have been like, yes, I'd actually say it was Don Rickles. Because you got to remember, Don was like, we talking, this is back when at a time where like crime and stand-up would go hand in hand, <laughs> right? So you had mafia, booking, entertainment, all that type of stuff. Folks were, rub comedians were rubbing like elbows with those types of folks back then. You know what I mean? He rolled with Sinatra. I don't know yeah. if he was one of the Rat Pack, but he rolled with the Rat Pack. He was. He was. He was Rat Pack. Fringe Rat pa Rat Pack. See. So again, stayed in the right circles. Seemed to have a heart of gold, but the people around him sometimes did not <laughs> have hearts of gold. It's a great point. Okay. Which is yeah. a lot like Peter Penny. He's definitely the closest, or one of the closest. Yeah, and he does have that body type. That doesn't help. Yeah, but to a positive petty. Yeah. And Don Rickles was no coward, especially not once he was on stage. That's true. Um, and then the other person that we had, uh, who was the other one there? Oh, Mort Saul. Mort Saul is probably the closest to James. Like he was the mm -hmm. thinker. And if mm -hmm. you like, it's really interesting. You talked about Paul Mooney being basically a hundred years ahead with the stand-up. And with Carlin, same thing. You can turn on a Carlin special and his ideology, America hasn't got to it yet. Um, it's he, you don't think George Carlin is a hundred years ahead? You don't think George Carlin's like, not stand up what, not like in terms of art form, in terms of the ideas. Did a hundred, a hundred years ahead? Yeah, I can hear you. A hundred? I'm not talking about in terms of funny. I'm talking about the ideas he's talking about on stage. Oh, I mean, but a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. all those folks are. But so Mort Saul, it's interesting because he was like 50 years ahead, but we've gotten there now. Like if you listen to Mort Saul's act, you're like, oh yeah, people are talking about this. Not that the country's doing it, but it's just interesting. He's kind of like James in that way of like, guys like James always are putting themselves on the level of a Dumbledore or a Voldemort, or right. even a Hermione. And it's like, y'all aren't at that level. And right. Mortsall would, I, I mean, it's hard to know who had an ego a hundred years ago, but I'm sure he would put himself on the level of a Dick Gregory or, you know, Richard Pryor, but he's not at that level. So that's why he's my James. Okay, I got you. Uh, I actually would say the James of that generation is somebody like a Moms Mabley because Moms was so, so groundbreaking. You know what I'm saying? And actually led to what would be, like people talk about Phyllis Diller in Not Moms Mabley, and I find that to be so annoying. You feel yeah. me? 
because I definitely think that she she would either win as Lily Potter for me or as James because their life and death ended up mattering so much to the story. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Ended up mattering so much to the story. If you lose Moms Mabry, you don't get what female stand-up comedians ended up being able to become without her. You know what I'm saying? She broke a lot of ground that no one talks about. So, um, And she also broke ground totally on the other side in terms of the character actor comedians. Like, she pioneered that style. If you look at, like, Rodney or if you look at a tell, or if you look at Jeff Foxworthy, or I mean, there's so many examples. Like even somebody like Cedric. Like there's, there's just that aspect of that. This is a character built out of the person, and she is so important to that. Like the legacy of that. And on top of that, too, you have the fact that, as far as like being honest and self-deprecating, Miles maybe will pull teeth out, dog. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So the influence went that far. And see, when we start getting into that, I guess it would be more Lily Potter because people talk about James all the time. The only people we ever see talk about Lily is like the select few teachers and I don't know, Snape. Yeah. You know, Props to so, Slughorn yeah. for that was a moment where as a reader, you knew you were going to like Slughorn was knowing that he loved Lily Potter, because if Slughorn's character doesn't have an eye for talent, then that character sucks. But the fact that that character has good taste, he's like Pharrell. Yeah. So <laughs> tell me this now. F finish out the rest. But so far, we've named. We've named Dick Gregory, Don Rickles, Mortsall and Moms Mabley. And I think those are the four most important of that pre-Cosby uh, pre era. I mean, Red Skelton's a person who people talk about a lot, but like, I don't know, I'm not familiar enough with like where his art sat in the rest of the landscape. Like when I watch Red Skelton, I don't know if he invented the thing. Like you look at like Henny Youngman and all the Borscht Belt Jews that get credit for certain things, but it's like, you read more about those things and you go, oh, people have been doing those things for a hundred years. It's just that Henny Youngman was the first guy to get on television doing that thing. Or mm. uh, there's a couple of those Borscht Belt guys that are kind of famous, Buddy Hackett, but they didn't really do anything brand new. We pro we're probably missing a lot of the vaudeville folks too, but eh, well, too bad. I just give Groucho Marx all of the credit for all of vaudeville. I just give it all to him. And then I just, that's where, yeah, I just give it, add it to his legacy and no one else's. What Fires. your sound cut out. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So now we move on to the very coveted generation of the um, goats now. I, so, I got two that I think have to make it. And then two that I'm not, that could go in any way. Okay, so here are mine just right off the top. I think we already got, so you get Cosby, you get Fox, you get... Hmm, Joan Rivers, that's my other that had to make it. You get Joan, you get Pryor. No, Pryor is, I'm going as the next one. Oh, okay, you sure? Because weren't Joan and Pryor within the same generation? or Joan Well, that's the thing. So you got Cosby and Red Fox are one generation. Pryor and Mooney and Carlin are one generation. And then Joan is kind of in the middle and Lenny Bruce is kind of in the middle. But they're a little bit closer, I think, to the Cosby generation than the Pryor generation. Okay, I got you. I got you. But see, because Pryor was all of their favorite comics. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's so weird, but... If, he, if she cuts right in between, then I'm fine with it. Well, it's kind of like it's kind of like how Roseanne still loves Dave Chappelle, even though she's a generation above him. But she looks at him like, oh, he's the adorable young kid who was phenomenal. Like Roseanne looks at Dave Chappelle as young, even though we all look at him. Yeah, it's the same dynamic with Joan and Pryor. Whereas as Cosby would probably look at all of them and be like, man, get out my face, don't talk. <laughs> Cosby it. would try to dress them. I mean, that's the thing is Cosby had control freak issues, clearly. Uh, but he he had like, if you read Richard Pryor's autobiography, 
they mm-hmm. had an interesting relationship and Cosby gave prior money at a bunch of different times in his life. Cosby was actually one of the most impe- important people for getting the movie Malcolm X made, the Spike mm-hmm. Lee movie, because mm-hmm. he not only donated, but encouraged Oprah and Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan all to donate significantly to it. Yeah. Um, but he, his thing was that, and if you read the, the prior autobiography, like, Cosby had control issues and when he couldn't control a situation he uh really bothered people right yeah well you know he called to get like Def Jam and that type of stuff taken down mm-hmm. yeah so you know the cause has always been the cause having said that so he's which, James Potter then nah, nah you don't, don't think James think so. had control issues the most of those four uh, uh, yeah, I guess if we got to make them marauders, then sure. Because I guess of that generation. Yeah, sure. Fine, fine, fine. Because there'll be James Potters that are more flattering to James at some point. Nah, it's not even that. It's just that Cosby just seems more like, oh, man. Gosh, he's almost more like Snape, but Snape's not a marauder, right? Yeah, he so- is a lot like Snape. He's rough so rough beat for life. Snape, rough beat for my favorite character. But they are, I mean, Cosby is the guy inventing spells. Like if you look at all the stand-up comedians, Cosby is, is the one who would have created by far the most spells. Like Dumbledore and Pryor would have the coolest spells, but Snape and Cosby would have the most new spells invented and they wouldn't tell people about them. And you would hear about a few of them and you would be like, yikes. Why would you as, want that spell? As we learned with um, Mr. Cosby, as we learned with Mr. Snape, uh, if once you find the Half-Blood Prince book, you go, whoo, there's a lot of <laughs> shit in here. But I definitely think that as far as inventing spells, like what we're, ta- I don't know what Will's talking about, but the way I took what you were saying is um, inventing spells, spells being the new styles, the new, and just the new air that it breathed into the art form to where no matter what you think about Bill Cosby, the person, Bill Cosby, the stand-up comedian broke new ground as far as being a storyteller on stage and staying a storyteller on stage, being I don't clean. Think, I don't think there's a single comedian in America, at least, that's not influenced by Bill Cosby. I mean, the, the many different ways he did stand-up and the many different ways he created like new ways to be funny and everybody yeah. does them. I mean, yeah. you can't watch a single special and not see a person do a, like a micro movement or something that is Cosby-ish. So many, so many people were inspired by either him or people that he inspired. So in yeah. one way or another, it could be as a stand-up, as a, you know, as an interview guest, as a um, sitcom star. I, I don't know if people were making like silly faces after jokes before Bill Cosby. Like that's how impactful he was. Like there might've been like guys who would do like a catchphrase motion. Like they would, you know, fake string themselves up by their shirt or something. Like people would do a goofy motion, but to just make a face the way he did, to roll his eyes the way he did. I mean, you know, I think he's probably got the best joke I've ever heard also. So um, yeah, I think he's he's the Snape for sure. He's a Snape, okay. So yeah, I definitely would put him over there with Snape. Now when it comes to- um, Joan would, and Red. What? Joan and Red, I think have to, I agree with you, they have to be there. Red Fox has to be there. Red Fox, if you ask me, would be Lupin again. And I know it might seem like I'm coming back to Lupin a lot, but. Lupin no, with that. Fox, he, he's the glue guy. He, I mean, he, on top of everything he did in terms of pioneering the party album and uh, just being an incredible joke writer and joke teller, he also pioneered like these live shows that where people, where elite comedians could rub shoulders. Like he's mentioned in Richard Pryor's autobiography too. He just had these shows around LA where any comedian who, was interesting could get consistent stage time and he would mentor guys and that is like that is called a comedy jam yes you understand and that's why he's in harlem nights oh wow really because he was always 
mentoring Richard. So Richard vouched for him to Eddie mm. to be in Harlem Nights. Excellent. Excellent. And another thing about Red Fox is that he's one of the few people that inspired Richard Pryor. And I'm talking about like the whole way. You know what yes. I'm saying? There was a point when Richard was doing Cosby to get on TV and like act a certain way. But Red Fox was one of his heroes from the beginning, just like Dick Gregory before that. But the reason that I picked Lupin for um, Red Fox, that is the sidebar. <laughs> that is the most authentic chew I've ever heard in my life. I heard, <laughs> yo, whatever, I don't know if that was cereal or what, but whatever you just crunched on sounded like a cartoon character biting into an apple. It was it, it was Nutella. It was Nutella ah, and granola. Gotcha. It sounded like cereal. <laughs> so when it comes to why I made um, Homie Lupin, Red Fox's story is beautifully tragic, man. Beautifully tragic. If y'all don't know the story, Red Fox is one of the most like screwed over successful legendary comedians ever. You know what I'm saying? He passed away broke and all of that. But, but his impact, what he created, the creativity, the jokes that he wrote, the content that he actually put out, because people give him a lot of credit for being like a joke teller, but they'll down him sometimes. They'll call him like, oh, those were street jokes. No. The topic that like we big Chris Rock up for a lot is niggas versus black people, right? One of his most famous iconic premises. Red Fox was on that shit back in the 70s. Okay? Red Fox was six feet deep and then some. I'll, so give, I, you, go ahead. I'll give you another way that he, his uh, influence is underrated. Mm-hmm. Red Fox absolutely pioneered the sitcom and the jump to the sitcom. Like, he was one of the best at that. And he also... He brought edge to that field too. So like a show like Martin, a show like Fresh Prince, even the show like The Simpsons isn't existing without uh, Sanford and Son. And uh, yeah, incredibly impactful. And this is is just something else I want to throw in there too, because we give a lot of credit to um, things like The Cosby Show, right? But you got to understand The Cosby Show showed a certain type of um, demure. You know what I mean? (laughs) There was a certain level of, no, but honestly. People know, yeah. There's a certain level of class, right? That came with the Huxtables. There's heads and tails to everything. While Dr. Cosby, Dr. Huxtable, was this successful doctor, you know what I'm saying, OBGYN or whatever he was. Fucking Fox worked in the garbage. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was the garbage man. And his show showed you that other side, you know what I mean? Where it was all heart. You love that show because A, it was funny, but B, you love those characters. You can see those characters and it broke barriers. It didn't matter if you were a white kid watching the show, you knew this guy. It didn't I got, matter. Go oh, I got some, I got some other parallels. So you talk about, uh, you talk about Red Fox not getting credit for breaking barriers, right? Lupin, first werewolf teacher at Hogwarts in however long, he destroyed that barrier, got no credit 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when they got a werewolf teaching at Hogwarts every year, like they're gonna look at Lupin the way that athletes look at Jackie Robinson or the way that like Harvey Milk or whoever uh, broke a barrier for a giant group. And uh, I I got another one too. Um, Red Fox, so Lupin has Mm -hmm. a friendship with Dumbledore, Dumbledore, the most famous wizard in the world, basically. Lupin has, Lupin, this outcast werewolf has a friendship with Dumbledore. People, if Lupin went to America or if he went to China or Australia or wherever, and he was like, I'm friends with Dumbledore, people wouldn't even believe him. They'd be like, you with the holes in your pockets and your jacket, you're friends with Dumbledore. Similarly, Red Fox, close friends in his early 20s with Malcolm X. They were roommates. They were hanging out every day. They were going to diners together. If Red Fox was playing Vegas and killing for an hour, and then he went to sign autographs and was like, you know that I was close friends with Malcolm X for my entire first half of my 20s, people would be like, 
that's insane. And then the last parallel is just his last name is Fox. And we're talking about a guy who's a werewolf. I mean, I think Lupin's the right guy for Red Fox. Definitely think so, too. And again, I encourage y'all to go watch Red Fox. He is one of the smoothest comedians you can ever effing see. Okay? One of the smoothest. When it comes to things, you look at somebody like a Cat Williams, you look at their style, right? And how Cat almost like shines off of a screen. Red Fox has a medallion that I swear to God, as soon as I can, I'm getting it remade. You understand? I'm getting that exact one remade. It's in his HBO special, um, Home Box Office Presents Red Fox. Y'all should look it up. But for some of the sharpest comedy you'll ever see, watch Red Fox and a plain brown rapper. All right? But yeah, I'm definitely going to make him the looping of their um, group. Joan Rivers, for me, of that group, man, she's serious black, bro. Okay. She's serious black to where, okay, it's, comp it's complicated. Because if I don't make, um, if I don't make Cosby Snake, which I guess he couldn't be because it's the Marauders, but you know, Snake is of that generation. I guess he would be James for me, right? And the one thing that people may or may not know is that Cosby, one of the things that Joan Rivers did is this, I think, was she the first woman on The Tonight Show? Yes. Right. So she was the first host of a late night show, but she was also, I think, the first one, not on The Tonight Show, but the host of The Tonight Show. I think she was the first woman in the history of The Tonight Show to get called to the couch because right. she was the okay. first woman to kill that hard on The Tonight Show. Got you. So now the way that she got The Tonight Show was... According to her, this is a story that she told, is that Cosby went on The Tonight Show. You know, Cosby is Cosby. And Joan had been trying to get on for years, and the tapes just kept getting declined and declined and declined. And finally, she goes. And not Cosby goes. He goes on The Tonight Show. Whatever the comedian that was on that night, they bombed. Bombed, they face off. And bombing for a comedian, ladies and gentlemen, is when we do very bad. It's like when Seamus does anything. So <laughs> Cosby's looking at Carson like, well, Joan definitely won't be any worse than that. <laughs> Just have her on, bro. Carson had her on. The rest is history. Sirius was known as one thing. They said he was a great duelist, dog. A great duelist. If thing, the things that matter to me a lot as far as the stand-up is last per minute and some like I, I like some flair you know what I mean like some stage control and I like technique you know what I'm saying and I like a bunch of styles in one person the comedy album in a play not in the play but um what becomes a semi-legend most by Joan Rivers you once complimented me and gave me um the you liking my style to boxing that's boxing. And I'm talking about rapid fire. Rap just hits one after the other. So I liken that to dueling. Like Sirius was going to beat Bellatrix. And we're talking about a Sirius that's been in jail for 10 years. The only reason he lost because he got knocked through the veil. I think in the, because um, in the regular book, he didn't get hit with a vodka cadaver, did he? He just got knocked no, through the veil. He just got knocked through the veil. Right, so which is really he, important. It's really important, and the movie should not have gotten that wrong. I know why they did that, but it's important to let you know that Sirius does not lose to Bellatrix. He does not. He doesn't lose to Bellatrix. Oh my God! Why would they do that? Because not only does he not lose to Bellatrix, but it takes a lot away from Bellatrix's character because she didn't try to kill her cousin. Mm-hmm. Well, she would have tried to, I think they were fighting to the death. It's just, you ever see two people ramp up in a fight? Like they start at an eight, but you know, they're still going to get to a 10. Like, I think it was one of those fights. I don't know, because I, I just don't, I don't see why she wouldn't then. Because I think Sirius was going to, once Sirius started trying to kill her for real, she was going to start trying to kill him for real. Like she was trying to like, bomb the area, but they both kind of wanted the other person to escalate it, but it was going to get there. 
but she went so hard at everybody else. Yeah, but she was waiting for Sirius to like draw blood, you know, like Sirius was going to send a curse and it was going to like slice into her, her leg and she'd be really bleeding. And then she would start Avada Kedarving and he would start. That don't make sense to me, man. It it's makes a family sense. fight. It's a but, fight at a, a family reunion. You got to ramp up. You can't go zero to a hundred. It's uh, yeah. See, I guess I was looking for it to be more heart than what it was. You might be right, but I guess because I've seen her go so hard, so fast at everything else, she tried to kill everybody else that she's been up against. Taunt, she's but she likes serious. Like, you got to remember, Bellatrix, when she was an eight-year-old, before she knew about Voldemort, she was hanging out at family reunions, reunions with Sirius, and they were lighting stuff on fire. She probably, I'm going to say this because we're this deep in the podcast, she probably wanted to fuck Sirius, even though he was her cousin. I think, oh. I mean, she's a war person. That's what I think about her. I think she's like, she's crazy. I, I think I got that vibe a little bit from her, even in the even in the movies, which is PG. It's like she's a little bit attracted to her cousin in a weird way. So I will give Bellatrix a little bit of the benefit of the doubt there. I didn't um, <laughs> think that I was going to say that I think they did hang out. And I think they were um, the fact that she didn't try to kill him just outright or at least torture him outright. I was trying to go for maybe it showed a little more heart than um, did not. But yeah. anyway. The thing about Joan Rivers is that she got a really bad rap for a very long time. Mm -hmm. You know, much like Sirius Black got a very bad rap for a very long time for something that didn't go the way that we thought it went. You know what I mean? So because of that, it was an easy thing for me to make because Joan Rivers got in trouble with Johnny Carson, who was definitely the Ministry of Magic of that time. Yes. Sirius I like Black. It. I agree. Got set up too, you know, and they didn't see him for years. And then when he finally came back, he ended up winning awards, just like Joan. When she came back, she ended up winning the Emmy for a show. And the the latter years were much just were much better than the years that she had before that. And she, even though it was accidental, much like Sirius Black, she died. She died going out. Like she was still in the war. Mm -hmm. Joan Rivers did a show the night before she died. That's crazy. You I understand? Yeah, and much like um, Sirius died kind of accidentally because he fell through the veil, Joan Rivers died accidentally because, you know, she was getting something done with her, um, she was getting her throat checked out or whatever. So, wow. yeah. Um, one of the greatest comedians ever, if you've never watched um, A Piece of Work, go watch that. It's one of the best comedy documentaries ever. I only the only other person I thought of for her was Lily, just because Lily was so generous with her cosign and her help. Like she would help anybody from Snape to Lupin to Wormtail, you know. And uh, you look at Joan Rivers. As soon as she got a show, every opportunity she really had, she was always elevating other comedians. I mean, she is in one of the best episodes of Louie, and she's amazing in that episode. And at the time when that show came out, she was way bigger than that show. Like she starred in movies and welcomed in New Year's Eve. And she did this little show on FX and was unbelievable in it. Right. And it's, it goes to show you um, just what it's She did sad. Eric Andre's podcast 12 years ago. 12 yeah. years ago, Eric Andre had a podcast that he did like eight episodes of. And she did it. Like she was just like, who? Oh, this guy's a comedian. I'll help him. Well, right. And there, there's something to be said about the love of the art form and the people that try your art form, to see the young kid with the paint. Sure, they might be squiggling outside the lines, but you appreciate their heart. You know, I'll tell um, a story here. I don't know if I sent you a screenshot of it, but we were talking about Paul Mooney earlier. I remember one time there's a spot here in um, the Bronx called HBX Studios and a comedian by the name of Gerald Kelly offer me um, 10 minutes on the show that Paul Mooney would be closing out, right? So I'm opening, opening. Like, I'm going up before Gerald Kelly comes up post. But in any case, do my thing, Paul Mooney happens to be there. We start the show after he showed up. So I go over, I'm scared to death, because I'm like, if he's mean, he has every right to be, and I will be glad that he even spoke to me, right? But 
I go over, I put my hand out, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, my, my name's Nico White. Blah, blah, blah. He goes, well, you know, good job and keep up good work. Kept the cool, went on stage, embodied. <laughs> and tore that shit to pieces. There was probably 250 people there. You know what I'm saying? And he's stationary in the chair and murdered him. So, story I meant to tell her that I forgot. Um, who do you have as like the pedigree of that group? Uh, and again, remember, it doesn't have to be negative. Okay. We just talking I trait, got, I got, trait wise. Well, actually, I thought of somebody, but he's in the next generation. All right. Let me say that the next generation's pedigree might be the most talented, the most purely talented person in the history of stand-up comedy. How about that for a tease? The okay. next generation's pedigree. But for this generation, okay, so we're still talking guess, to um yeah. Cosby, Joan Rivers, Red Fox, Jim. I mean, you can you can make Woody Allen that generation's pedigree real easy. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I would say the biggest difference is in some ways Woody Allen's in some ways Woody Allen has more in common with Voldemort than Pettigrew, but maybe like it's almost like a yin yang thing where Voldemort and Pettigrew, Pettigrew has all the traits that are evil that Voldemort doesn't have. And Voldemort has all the rest of the evil traits that there are. Um, I mean, Woody Allen is a lot more confidence in his brilliance than, uh, than, than Pettigrew is. I think Pettigrew, Pettigrew would need to elevate his self-esteem significantly to be to view himself the way Woody Allen did. But yeah, I'm gonna go with Woody Allen. And who do you think would be the Lily of that group if you had to add on the Lily? Hope to God that I'm right and that the show I Love Lucy falls in that generation. But I'm uh, it does. Go yeah, with, I'm gonna go with uh, Miss Lucille Ball. Okay, talk about that because Lucille Ball is. I mean, there's so many comedians on this list that don't get their due but mm -hmm. she i mean she has you know even when you if you watch the office if you watch a show like the office or if you watch a show like modern family like you can see influences of lucille ball in those shows right so on top of um the impact of her sitcom just as far as like the businesswoman that she was the stories that you hear right from what i understand she was very much big on empowering herself you know what i'm saying and making sure she was treated right on her shit. you know what's crazy is that uh i was watching the sesame street documentary with my kid and sesame street in 1980 something or whenever it first started uh it was the second time that a latino had ever been cast on television and the first time was i love lucy right her husband right so again when you when you talk about somebody like like a lucille ball and the reason i'm likening her to lily potter is because lily was as much of a star as james if not more so a star than james right and i would liken james again mostly to bill cosby if i didn't have you know snake was good yeah and I would say the Lucille Ball in the Cosby show, I won't say she was right up there with him, but I won't say she was for all that far behind. You yeah, agreed. Cosby is a planet. The Cosby show is a planet. But I love Lucy as a meteorite. And don't ever get it twisted. I mean, if you think about the most iconic family sitcom, it's the Cosby show. But if you go, okay, but what's the most iconic husband wife sitcom with no kids it's either honeymooners or i love lucy I, ah that's mm -hmm. like ah we got we got have start another podcast on comedy somehow but yeah ah, well, that's yeah great. okay so the next generation and i think this will be the last one for tonight and then we'll do the rest on the next episode and then hash it out but uh we're going with probably the greatest generation of comedians ever and i got my list uh, I guess I'll end with my pedigree because I teased my pedigree as the most talented person maybe in the history of comedy. Okay. The other candidate I would include for that award, I would put, I think that this candidate, this pedig my pedigree, he's in that list with Eddie Murphy, uh, 
Kat, Dave, and my James Potter for this group. And my James Potter for this group is Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. So I got mm-hmm. Richard as James Potter and I have him there because he sees the leadership role. He st- sees the steering wheel of that whole generation. And there were a lot of people vying for it at one time, but he seized it. And because he's my James, I got to put Mooney as my serious, even though I could put Carlin as serious too, but I think I'm going to go Mooney and I'm going to go Mooney because he's has a little bit of a closer friendship with Richard. And though the reason I don't like him for serious is because Mooney is not anybody's sidekick. Like he's not a yes man. He's very honest in some ways. You know what? I think he's more like Lily. I'm going to pivot. Mooney is my Lily. And in the words of Richard, if, you know, if Richard were here and he knew about Harry Potter, he would say that nobody would be happier with being his Lily than Paul Mooney. <laughs> Hilarious. Hell yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's very inside baseball there. So I got Lily and Mooney. For Lupin, I'm going to go with Carlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, for So I got Pettigrew and I got... Um, who do I have left? I got Pettigrew and... And a serious black. So I got Pettigrew and serious black as the two that are left. Okay. Um, so I know my Pettigrew. Do you want to you want to weigh in on, on any of these? And I'll figure out who I got as serious black for that generation. Right now, I'm going to agree with the Richard Pryor and Paul Mooney being the James and Lily of this bunch. You know what I'm saying? They give birth to a lot of important children in the next generation. Yes. Um, you gotta throw because see, Lenny Bruce has to fall in here somewhere, right? And because Lenny was like, he's the one that went to jail. He's the one that kind of got scrutinized. Making him serious black is kind of easy for me. Oh, that's great. I didn't even think about the jail angle. Oh, that's a great point. I think I'm gonna make him. I think I'm gonna make him um, the serious black because he kind of got, you know, he got his, he got his, um, he got his just do, but he got a raw deal. Yeah. Um, geez, this is where it gets hard. So the Peter Petty group. I got a that, really good one. I got. Okay. You Go you ready for it? Or you want? Okay. So Peter Pettigrew maybe the most talented person of that whole class is somebody who, so if you look at Richard Pryor and George Carlin and Paul Mooney, Mm -hmm. they all have these strict moral compasses. They're all, and Lenny Bruce, they all really value Lenny Bruce Mm -hmm. as much as any of them. They wanna be able to speak their truth on stage. They don't wanna have to pivot away from their truth. It's so important to them to say what they feel, right? Pettigrew, is the exact opposite of that. He can be flexible to any situation. Mm -hmm. Another comedian who was able to be flexible in any situation, he didn't necessarily have a backbone, but he had talent beyond talent beyond talent is Robin Williams. And Mm. Robin Williams could be funny literally to anybody. You could be the head of the USSR or you could be Mother Teresa. And Robin Williams was going to figure out a way to make you laugh. Like Robin Williams is probably the only stand-up. I'm not going to say he's the only stand-up that could make Voldemort and Dumbledore laugh in the same room. Cause I think Richard could, but Richard would do that in a way that actually Voldemort would be mad about 10 minutes later. Voldemort would just love Robin Williams. Everybody's going to love Robin Williams. And that's why Robin Williams uh, is my pedigree. And I think Robin Williams, along with Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, Cat and Dave, I think those are the five or so most talented stand-up comedians of all time. Okay, interesting, interesting. Um, because I don't know that I can think of anyone better, right? I don't know if I can think of anyone better for that role right now. So I'll say that, boom, yeah. I agree with you on that one. So okay. did we cover everyone? I think we did. Yeah, I mean, I thought, I was trying to think of, anybody besides Lenny Bruce, but I think, yeah, with Lenny Bruce going to jail, he's the perfect person to fit that serious vibe. Um, Man, those are, 
those are three incredibly talented. So let's recap these generations and then uh, we'll call it for this one and we'll do part two next time. Okay, if you can remember everything that was said, I will. I got it written I, down. Shoot. So for the first generation, for the James, we got Mort Saul. For the Sirius, we got Don Rickles. For the Lupin, we got Dick Gregory. And mm -hmm. for Lily, we got Moms Mabley. We don't have a pedigree for that generation. For the okay. next generation, we got Cosby as James slash Snape. We mm -hmm. got Joan Rivers as Sirius Black. We got mm -hmm. Red Fox as Lupin. We got Woody Allen as Pettigrew. And we got mm -hmm. Lucille Ball as Lily. Awesome. For the last generation, uh, we got Richard as the James Potter. We got Paul Mooney as Lily Potter. We mm -hmm. got Lupin as Carlin. Mm -hmm. And we got Sirius Black as Lenny Bruce. And for the Pettigrew, we got Robin Williams. Awesome. Sounds like a good list <laughs> to me. The next ones are the ones I'm looking forward to most. Yeah, we got, so next episode we'll have um, that next generation, which is like the Rodney generation. Then we get the Eddie generation, then the yep. Jerry Seinfeld generation, then the Chris Rock, Adam Sandler generation. Then you got the Chappelle cat generation. Are we going, we're going to go past, are we going to go the whole way? Like we're going to Chappelle cat to the Burr Patrice generation bring Man, it up to today all the way okay so we got burp we might have to do three episodes because then we got burp patrice then we got the mulaney amy schumer generation and breaking up these generations way too way too wide <laughs> you think too wide mm -hmm. so yeah. like you so you're saying that um oh we could let's do the outro we can talk about this in a second okay and cool. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank you so much for jumping into this very, very spontaneous episode of the Part of the Podcast. <laughs> Will, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at Will Poznan. And uh, if there's any people on our list or anybody you think we omitted, mm -hmm. you know, message me because, uh, you know, there's no, there's no part of me that wants to deny a great comedian their shine. Heck yeah, heck yeah. So find, make sure y'all find Will on Instagram at Will Posen. You can find me on Instagram at Nico White ninety three. That's at N E K O W H I T E nine three. If you have any suggestions on which comedians we might have missed for the Marauders of Comedy in the generations that we went over this episode, please be sure to let Will know. Okay, <laughs> let Will know. But if you have any for me, let me know. Hit me on Instagram and check out my special. It's called Dark Out, D-A-R-K-O-U-T. It's on YouTube. It's free. Thank you all for joining us. This has been a Potter Hood podcast. I'm Nico White. I'm Will Poznan. Mr. 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 Mr.